Our New Testament reading today is taken from Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus and those churches around Ephesus. And we're going to read again chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. Paul writes, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. And let's continue today in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your most holy word. We thank you that every time we come, It is an opportunity for us to hear the very word of God speaking to us. And so, Father, we acknowledge the authority of your word. We, Lord, submit to it and yield to it. And we pray, Lord, that today the entrance of your word would give light to us. And we say with Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servants listen. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church And help us to be like that house built upon the rock, to be not only hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but to be doers of the word, as you've called us to be. Lord, grant now the unction and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Grant your word to come to us with authority as from God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, as we conclude our study on Ephesians, I want to focus on the last three items of armor, that is the helmet and the sword and this weapon of all prayer. If any of you have read the Pilgrim's Progress, you know that at, the, at that period of the valley of the shadow of death, where a Christian is harassed and hounded by all those demons, nothing will avail. He, he even takes out the sword of the Spirit. <laughs> He's slashing through the air. And even that sword doesn't seem to deliver him from all that demonic oppression until he takes the weapon of all prayer. And he says, oh Lord, help me just like that woman did in our gospel today. Because we have a longer service today, including a a fellowship time and uh, evening prayer, I've tried my best to be as brief as I can. Um, And essentially today, what I wanna do is to encourage you under God to be men and women of God. 
I want to set forth a call for you to be those who practice the presence of God in a disciplined way and who take very seriously the commission of your master. He has commissioned you and he has given you marching orders and a way to live as the people of God. And I want through the word today to help you to do that and to hear that call from the Lord. In this life, this practice of the presence of God, this setting ourselves apart to seek God's face in the word and in prayer is the most important thing we'll do. I'll be as bold to say today that it's more important than who we marry. It's more important than where we go to school. It's more important than where we work. It's more important than who we have as friends or if we have any friends at all. It's more important even than our outward service and work for God. Because the hidden life in God, the secret life in God, where we listen to him like Samuel, where we call upon his, his name, it shapes and it determines everything that we do. It affects all. And the devil doesn't care at all if we do lots of things for God. The devil doesn't care if we crisscross the globe speaking to thousands as long as we never really seek God, as the Lord has called us to do. Because the devil knows the Bible. The devil knows the Bible better than we do. He believes it and he trembles. And he knows that what was true for King Uzziah in those ancient days is true for the New Testament believer that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as Uzziah sought the face of God, God made him to prosper. But when he grew strong, Uzziah grew proud and he left off the seeking of God to his own destruction. You see, the Lord prospers those and he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 6, 6. He makes those fruitful who abide in him. John 15, 4. He causes those to prosper who set apart time day and night for the study of, and to the listening of his word. Psalm 1 verse 2. He shows great and he shows unsearchable things to those who call upon his name. Jeremiah 33.3. And the devil knows that as long as we don't really seek God, I mean really seek God, as long as the favor and the blessing of God doesn't hang, don't hang richly about our life, our labors, many though they be, will be easy enough for the devil to defeat because we don't seek God. And what Paul recommends to us today is that we be a people who truly seek God, even as his godly fathers in Israel had faith and sought God. As Moses sought God, as Joshua sought God, as Elisha sought God, as Daniel sought God, and as the Lord Jesus Christ sought God. And Paul says, first of all today, that we need to have a helmet, and then we need to have a sword, and we need to have this weapon of all prayer. Now, the helmet of salvation, briefly, is not the act of conversion. 
We can't offer to ourselves salvation, and we can't doff our salvation. And what a frightening thing it would be if at any point we could somehow forget one morning to put off the justification of God. Oh, shoot, I left my helmet back in my room. I've been walking all day without God's salvation on me. Once saved, always saved. It's true. It's true doctrine. The good shepherd loses none of his sheep, even in the valley of the shadow of death. We read today, even there, there is no fear of evil because goodness and mercy follows the sheep. Wherever they go in this life, they're hemmed in by God's sure loving kindness. And there's an awful lot of theologies out there. What makes the Lord out to be a very poor shepherd indeed. Losing sheep, left, right, and center. My sheep are my own, he says. I lay down my life for my sheep, and no one, we sang it today, will snatch them from my hand. No, not even their own dim-witted and slow and incompetent selves. Put on the helmet of salvation isn't a command to maintain our salvation, what Paul is saying here is the same thing that he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Put on, he says, the breastplate of faith and of love, and for a helmet, he says, the hope of salvation. What Paul means here is hope. If the gospel shoes gives us the fleetness of foot to escape the world's idolatry and the world's self-satisfaction, if they make us, in Calvin's words, to, to bypass the attractions of this life and to move forward to the kingdom of heaven, then the helmet of salvation gives us hope in a world that can so very easily cast us down into a deep, dark bog of despair. You see, the shoes pertain to the danger of thorns in this life, walking along and getting our feet damaged on the cares of this world, on the deceitfulness of riches and all the vanities that allure us. The shoes protect us from that thing so that we can move on with fleetness of foot, past all of the materialism, all of the greed, all of the covetousness, all those things that say, you should settle down here. You should be more comfortable here. The shoes protect us from all these dangers, but there are other dangers in this life that don't have to do with the allures of this materialistic world or the deceitfulness of riches. The helmet pertains to the other dangers, not being wooed by the world's riches, but being discouraged by its difficulties. When Uzziah, we read, grew strong, he grew proud, and he forgot God to his destruction. But we can also forget God, not in our strength, but we can easily forget God in our weakness. We can forget God in our sorrows. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about the danger of being overwhelmed by excessive sorrows. And the Puritans, they, they knew this well, and they wrote many books. Baxter wrote a treatise on the, the, uh, the whole thing is the cure of overmuch sorrow, he says, because he knew that too much sorrow and too much despondency can lead us easily away from God. And the answer, Paul says today, is fixing our minds on the hope of salvation to remember that the good thing, 
to remember that the prize, to remember that the reward is still and yet to come. This life is full of cracks. This life is full of disappointments. This life is full of frustrating puzzles. But the helmet of salvation reminds us that this whole life is just the preface to the real story. It says the first pages of the story of your life, they haven't even begun yet. There's a story coming. There are pages of prose and of adventure waiting for you that will swallow us up in everlasting delight and of joy in the life to come. And in this present preface, in which we now find ourselves, to borrow the illusion or the metaphor of C.S. Lewis, in this present preface, in this current life, God not only allows us to endure trouble and disappointment and cracks, but he uses these things. He uses these things to make the coming story better. <laughs> All our troubles, writes Baxter, are overruled by God. He is using them to make the coming story better for you. And so you see, the helmet of salvation, it so guards our minds that we see in the Spirit God working all these things for our good. Not here necessarily, because hope that we see, says Paul, isn't really hope at all. Not here necessarily, but God is working all these things, cracks and troubles and puzzles and all, for our good, that is for the story to come. Putting on the helmet of salvation each day, we say to ourselves, there's something coming. And the sufferings of this present life, whatever they may be, the sufferings of this present life, they aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Put on the helmet of salvation and so be guarded against the troubles and the afflictions of this life which can turn you away from God. Well, that kind of attitude, that hope, which is the helmet, is linked to the other two pieces of armor, the word of God and prayer. Now, I feel like I could spend a lot of time today talking about these uh, various qualities of scripture uh, and uh, the qualities of the word of God and the qualities of prayer. I feel like we could talk a lot about how the sword of the word cuts and pierces and it goes through not only the lies of the enemy and it cuts through not only the lies of the spirit of the age and everything with which you are bombarded as you watch TV and as you listen to the news and as you surf the internet the world is constantly saying this is the way this is what is right here is the treasure the word of God not only cuts through those things but the word of God we recuts through our own souls it discerns all the garbage on our own minds and it reveals the intentions of our hearts in ways that we can't see ourselves. We could talk today about prayer and how prayer has quenched the power of fire, how prayer has stopped the mouths of lions, how prayer is so powerful that Joshua, as he prayed, he stops the sun from setting. <laughs> And we read those remarkable words that the Lord obeyed the voice of a man. We could talk about so many things. 
But today, my brothers and sisters, I simply want to ask you this all-important question. Do you daily seek God? Do you seek the Lord in his word and in prayer in such a way that it is the most important thing that you do? Do you seek God in his word and in prayer so that everyone who knows you intimately can say, that is the thing. This practice of seeking God, this is the thing that is the most important part of her life. This is what he values most above all. You see, the psalmist says, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and I will cry aloud and God will hear my voice. And we can be easily tempted that this is figurative language here until we read the story of Daniel. That great prophet who sought the Lord how many times Three times a day, he sought the face of God. We read Daniel got down on his knees three times a day. Why? Just because there was a problem? Just because there was some predicament that he got himself into? No, Daniel prayed three times a day before his God, and we read, as he had done previously. As he had always done, as was Daniel's Habitual practice to seek the face of God, morning, evening, and at noon. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of God, and he meditates therein day and night. Jesus, we read in Mark 1, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed into a solitary place to pray. I rise before dawn, writes the psalmist. I cry out for help then, and it's then, he says, that I hope for your words. Psalm 119. So let me ask you this question today. My brothers and sisters, do you? Do you? <laughs> Do you hear the words of the Lord and do you obey the words of the Lord? Do you put God first each day? Is the morning set apart for him? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto you will I pray. My voice, O Lord. Shall you hear in the morning, oh God, I need you more than anything else? Lord, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, says the psalmist, and I prepare a watch for you, O Lord. Job, knowing the dangers of this world, set apart the morning to sacrifice to God for his children early in the morning. And if you're ever to wear the armor as the Apostle Paul would have you to wear it, and if you are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, then this devotional life, it needs to be the most important thing for you. And it can't be a hasty prayer. 
It can't be a rushed reading of a chapter. This devotional life that the Bible talks about must be an entering into the presence of God. It's not a doctrinal study. It's gathering yourself into the majestic and awesome presence. Putting yourself in a place where he can hear you. And where you can hear him. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want to do for you today is to give you some guidance. I want to offer you some suggestions as to how you can do this practically and how you can do this concretely because it is the most important thing for you. First of all, our days need to begin with God. My brothers and sisters, our days need to begin with God. He must come first. Psalm 108, I will awaken the dawn with the praise of God. Before other things crowd in, put God first. And this means being disciplined at night so that you have the strength to rise early and to listen to your alarm clock. But the biblical pattern is morning prayer. But I'm not a morning person, you say. Well, God's strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Set your alarm. Put God first. God must be first. Set apart the morning as a sacrifice to God. It's his. Secondly, find a desolate place for yourself. Follow the Lord's pattern. This can be challenging in our day, I know, especially with roommates and especially with children hanging about you, but find a place that's set apart in your home, which, the, which is the meeting place with God. It can be used for other things, but you know in the morning that's where you go to meet with God. See, Jesus had favorite places. He had hallowed spaces where he went to meet with God. One of them that he went most often was that garden, <laughs> the Garden of, of, uh, of Olives, where he met the Lord in prayer. Find a place that's free from distraction. Don't bring your phone. Don't bring your laptop. Don't bring your newspaper. newspaper. Bring your Bible. Bring your voice. Bring your heart. Bring a cup of coffee if you need it. But set apart this place and purge it of anything that might distract you from the one thing that you need to do for that day, which is to meet with the living God. Thirdly, begin this devotional time by kneeling before God. Kneel before him and acknowledge his gracious presence. Acknowledge that this is not doctrinal study time. This is gathering your soul into the presence of majesty. And so kneel before the Lord and realize God. Ask God now for grace to hear his voice. Ask the Lord now for the spirit of prayer so that you might pray as you ought to do in all of your weakness and commit now at this point your devotions to God and ask for an undivided heart. Number three, begin by acknowledging the majesty of God. Fourthly, plan to read through your Bible. Do not rely on haphazard reading. 
Do not rely on approaching the sword of the Spirit by flipping your Bible open and trusting that the Spirit will lead you to whatever passage you need for that day. That will surely fail you. Rather, have a plan to work through the Bible. If you do not have a plan today in how you're working through the Bible, I guarantee you're not working through the Bible. Have a plan to know how you're doing it. I brought today with me, there's at least several of them or a few of them on our bookshelf, Robert Murray McShane's one-year plan for how to read through the Bible that might be of some help to you, but however you do it, be intentional about it. In the mornings, I'm working from this book through to that book. In the morning, I'm working through the Gospels. In the morning, I'm working through the Psalms and the Gospels. In the morning, I'm working through Paul's epistles. In the month of March, I'm working through Paul's letter to the the Corinthians, the second letter. Whatever it might be, you must be intentional, for without a plan, it never really seems to happen, does it? Fifthly, don't just read in your devotional time in the morning, but ponder the word. Don't just read it, but ponder it, pray over it. Ask the Spirit in the morning to illuminate the passage for you. Recognize that it's the Spirit's word and not open to private interpretation, that you actually are are hinging upon the presence of the Holy Spirit to be your teacher, as the Apostle John says. If you like to journal, bring a journal with you into your devotional time and take time in your journal to comment on the word with your pen, but don't tweet it. Resist the temptation to rush out of your devotions and to take a photo of your Bible and to Instagram your revelations. This is private. This is secret. What the Lord sees in secret, he will reward openly. Be like Mary, and when the Lord reveals something to you, treasure it and hide it in your heart. And be ever so suspicious, my brothers and and sisters, of that pharisaical temptation to strut your spiritual life before the, before the world. Look what the Lord revealed to me. Look what I'm doing in my private time. It is secret. Keep it secret before God. Sixthly, once you've read through the scriptures and you've pondered the word and you've opened yourself to God's voice, get on your knees now to let the Lord hear your voice, and let the reading of your word fuel your time of prayer. Let your reading of the word fuel uh, your time of prayer. And if for some reason you can't kneel, (laughs) then find some other posture that will give you a, a reverence before God. We're bodily, right? We're body and spirit. What we do with our body affects our soul. And the reason Daniel knelt before the Lord And the reason we read that the Apostle James had calloused knees because he knelt so often before the Lord because their bodies in that posture help them to recognize the majesty of the King and the Lord in their prayers. But if you can't kneel, then find some other posture. Lie like Tozer on your face. A.W. Tozer would put on his praying pants as soon as he got to work. And the first thing he did was to put a piece of paper in the carpet. He'd lie face down on the floor so the carpet dust wouldn't get into his nose through that paper sheet. And he'd begin to cry out to God. First thing. 
If that's what you want to do, then that's just fine. But once you've read through the, the word, once you've heard God's voice, now let him hear your voice. And as you pray, I encourage you today to think of your prayers and this prayer time and this daily prayer life, which is of utmost importance to you. As you commit yourself to the praying that God's calling you to do, I encourage you to think of your prayers as concentric circles. Move through the areas of prayer, starting with the innermost circle and working through to the outer circles. Begin on your knees by thanking God for his mercies. Begin by thanking God for who he is and, and recognizing all the good things he's given to you. And then move outwards as you think about your day before the Lord. These are the things that are coming down the pike. These are the things that I need strength in order to face. Pray over your day before the Lord. And then go on to pray for the innermost circle of your loved ones. Pray for your family then. Parents, pray for your children by name. Pray for their weaknesses. Pray against their sins. Pray for repentance and faith. Pray for godly uh, mentors for them. Pray for godly companions for them. Pray for your children and your loved ones and your family, your spouse, your aunts, your failing nephews and nieces. And then pray for your friends moving outward. Pray for your friends and for their concerns, their challenges, their prayer requests. And then move outwards, move beyond and pray for your church every day. Pray for me, please, every day that I might speak the word of God as I ought to speak it, that I might be kept from the, the devices of the devil. Pray for your church and pray for your pastor and then move out again and pray for the larger church. Pray for other ministries and for other missionaries that are on your mind and your heart. Pray for the suffering church and the persecuted church and then move out again and then begin to labor for the lost and then begin to cry out to God, oh Lord, have mercy on this person's soul, especially those lost souls that God has given to you and has entrusted to you as to no one else to pray for. And then finally, pray for your country every day. Pray for your prime minister every day. Pray for your world every day. Paul says pray with all prayer. Pray for all men. And he says pray all times. Not as a recommend recommendation, church, but as the command of the Lord, the marching orders to the church. Number seven, because we are creatures of time, we need time to seek God. Don't be deceived by the thought that because it's spiritual, we can do it in far less time. We need three hours to watch a football game, but I only need 10 minutes with God because it's quote-unquote spiritual. We are in time, and therefore we need time. Tozer used to say, sermonettes for Christianettes. <laughs> devotionettes for Christianettes. Hurried devotions, my brothers and sisters, make small Christians. 
And if you can manage in your life one to two hours of TV each day or surfing the internet, but can't manage at least half an hour alone with God each day, then something is seriously wrong. You need time. You need duration. You need time to wait before God. You need time to be still before God. You need time to hush your soul before God. You need time to pray for all men before God. Number eight, in the matter of the devotional life, your emotions aren't your guide. In the matter of the devotional life, your emotions aren't your guide. Many mornings will come. Morning by morning, O Lord, I seek your face. Many mornings will come when your emotions won't be there. You'll get up, they've stayed back in bed. All you've got is your intellect and your will. Your affections are far behind, and you will not want to pray. Many devotions in the morning will come and go when everything seems uninspired. And in these times, you have to remember that the sun is still shining, and the sun is still doing its work, even when the clouds keep it from being seen. And oftentimes, some of the deepest, most profound work of God is done in our dryness. <laughs> we can walk away from our devotions of reading the Word and praying each morning, say, oh, that was so dry. God felt so far away. The Word seemed like nothing to me. And yet God is doing His deepest work in you. And it's at these times that you should listen to the advice of George MacDonald, something that I've kept before me for a long, long time. MacDonald writes, that person is perfect in faith, who can come to God in the utter dearth of her feelings and desires, without a glow or an aspiration, with a weight of low thoughts, failures, neglects, and wandering forgetfulness, and can still say to God, Thou art my refuge. In the matter of the devotional life, your emotions aren't your guide. They'll often fail you. Don't rely upon them. The affections will follow the mind and the will at some point. But in their absence, you, church, set your face like a flint to God. You, church, say, I will seek the Lord, whether I feel like it or not. I will get out of my bed and not proverb the, uh, prove the proverb to be true. <laughs> that as a, a, a door moves on its hinges, so a man can't get off his bed in the morning. Your emotions don't need to be there. Number nine, don't neglect the value of evening prayer. Morning and afternoon and evening will I call upon God. Don't neglect the value of evening prayer. Close your day with God. Find at least 10 minutes, even that, to get alone with God and to confess your failings that day. To spell out before the Lord all of your weaknesses, all of your besetting sins, the things that you know and you know alone, where you struggle and you need help. Use that evening to spread that out like a complaint before the Lord, even as Hezekiah spread out Sennacherib's threat before the Lord. He said, oh Lord, I need help. 
Don't forsake the evening as God has bid us to pray and use it to call on the name of the Lord. And I'd encourage you, even as you're faithful in the morning, to think about the evening as a lock and a key to close up your life against the devil at the end of the day until you unlock it in the morning to the gracious presence, the sunshine, and the warmth of God. Don't forsake evening prayer. And finally, never, ever doubt that this act of meeting with God is the most important thing that you will ever do. It is the most important part of your life, and God has blessings for you, church. God has riches for you. God has promises for you and wellness and success for you that you will never know. You will never know them if you don't commit in obedience to meeting with God. They're there for you. They're His for you. He wants to give them to you. But He asks you to seek Him to find them. He asks you to knock so that the door will be opened. He asks you to pray with all prayer at all times for all men with that sword of the Spirit in your hand. And then he promises to give you things that you couldn't possibly fathom. And so let's pray together. God, our Father, we want to hear your voice. We want to do what is right, but you know our weaknesses. We are frail, finite things, things of dust. And all of us, O oh Lord, have failed you time and again. We have failed you, O Lord, in this thing that we ought to have done. We pray for grace now, O God, grace to obey you, not to be hearers of the word, but, Father, to be doers of the word, to be a people who seeks the face of God, who put God first, who open ourselves like a flower each morning to the rising sun of your presence, O Lord. Give us grace today, now. Impart it to us to obey you in this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.